Hello and welcome back to another edition of NEEMT Radio. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence, and I have the Past Presidents Club with me today. I have uh, immediate past president, Bruce Evans, and immediate past past president, Matt Zabadsky. Gentlemen, welcome back to NEMT Radio. Thanks. And, you know, Bruce, at least, he didn't, at least he's not hosting the Dead Presidents Club. I know. I, I, feel, I feel privileged. <laughs> well, perhaps that's a future edition, Matt. Let us know when you're going to shuffle off and we'll come back. Anyway, in all seriousness, this is a very serious uh, discussion today. And the topic is GEMT, Ground Emergency Medical Transportation, and all things that sit and go around and fund that. To set us up, would one of you, immediate past past presidents, care to just do some explaining, first of all. One of the things I said on the last edition of NEMT Radio is we're going to ban acronyms because we are really good or bad at acronyms. Right, Matt? So Grand Emergency Medical Transport, GEMT, what is it and what does it mean to us? Sure. Great question, Rob. So GEMT is a reimbursement mechanism for public agencies that are expending local tax dollars to deliver services, but the state is under-reimbursing the cost of providing that service through their Medicaid reimbursement. So, for example, in Texas, the average Medicaid reimbursement for an emergency ambulance transport is $280. It costs us $460 to do that. So what the state does to not have a burden on the local taxpayer for something that the state should be paying for, the state applies to the federal government that says, hey, we want to provide a supplemental payment to public agencies. And the feds approve a supplemental payment to public agencies. And the feds actually fund a portion of that additional payment through the Medicaid program. So the states then receive that additional money from the feds and they turn that federal money back to the providers through the Medicaid match to supplement their payment. Bottom line is, for an agency like MedStar, and Bruce can tell you about his agency, um, for us, we get about a $1.4 million supplemental payment at the end of the fiscal year to cover the sum of the uncompensated care for providing service to the Medicaid population. Bruce, what does it mean for your agency? So we're tiny. We're only about uh, a $4.2 million operation with less than 1,000 calls a year and certainly uh, only about five or uh, 500 transports, but it's about $180,000 into our budget. Uh, you know, and just a, a real quick other note is we track this in the state of Colorado, which we're very fortunate to have GEMT in a um, a, a state uh, plan amendment here for uh, Colorado. And last year, or the year before, we don't have the statistics for last year, but the year before, there was about $40 million in money that went out uh, to government and uh, providers of EMS in the state of Colorado um, as uh, part of the GEMT program. We're still in phase one of this, and we're still doing some explainers. We're still getting into the detail and, and the acronyms, et cetera. So GMT, Grand Emergency Medical Transportation, it's a program that provides reimbursements from Medicaid for public EMS agencies that serve a significantly disproportionate number of low-income patients. Bruce, you mentioned the state plan amendment, which, of course, is another key acronym and another key action 
by the state. And you may have touched on that in your explanations, but talk about state plan amendments, how that fits into the grand scheme of things. State plan amendment, Rob, is a formal document that the state um, has to get approval for from their local state. And then they send to the federal government and it's basically an explanation. Hey, we want to include these services in our Medicaid program. The feds then approve that because the feds are going to fund 60, 70, 80% of that, depending on the, the way that Medicaid funds or the way the feds fund Medicaid in that particular state. So they have to get federal approval in order to do that new program. Great. And I'm glad we've got those two particular elements exposed, discussed, and explained, because that goes on to the memo that NEMT has recently written to CMS. Here's another acronym, the Centre for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And the summary of concerns, I'm just going to read the first opening paragraph of that memo, and then come back to you to explain NEMT's issues, concerns, and obviously where we need to go with this. NEMT, on behalf of its EMS membership, would like to address CMS concerns as it relates to CMS approval of ground emergency medical transportation supplemental payment programs for new states. It has come to our attention that CMS is currently withholding approval of recently submitted state plan amendments, citing the potential inclusion of federally unallowable costs that are non-ambulance service delivery related. That's the opening statement of the memo to CMS. So break down our concerns. Wow. Okay. I'm going to try and do this in a Reader's Digest version. So many states had not previously taken advantage of the GEMT program and are now applying through their state plan amendment to have a GEMT program approved in their state. I think there are five currently that are that have applied to the feds for a GEMT program, and that all five of them now have been held up. They haven't been approved. Normally, this is pretty perfunctory. So when the state says, hey, we want to include maternal health XYZ, it normally just gets approved. Um, in this particular case, it's been months, if not years, that the feds have not approved these state plan amendments for GEMTs, uh, GEMT programs. And what they're telling the states is the reason that they're not approving them is they want to audit the current programs that have already been approved and paid for using federal dollars to make sure that the programs are being administered as they were intended when the ability for GEMT was first developed in Medicaid code several years ago um, at CMS. So during that process of the audits, um, the states, the feds, I'm sorry, the feds are not willing to approve these new state plan amendments, which is dramatically impacting EMS agencies across the country because they're not able to take advantage of that supplemental funding at a time that EMS agencies are really struggling economically. So an alarm bell went off there. You mentioned feds and audits, and that's never a good thing. Um, and of course, when they come to do any level of audit, they don't have to you know, do the whole country. They just need to do you know, a percentage of the percentage and then extrapolate a big number um, in terms of you know, overpayments, repayments, et cetera. That must be a worry for everybody. You know, it is, Robin, and the, the Center for Medicaid Administrator sent a memo to the state Medicaid directors back in August of 22 that raised this concern. It was a three-page memo and said, you know, we've noticed a really big difference in some cost reports versus other cost reports based on service type. 
And we are concerned that the states are allowing agencies to include what Centers for Medicaid believes are not covered expenses in the cost of EMS delivery. And really, it comes down to a a different interpretation in what's allowed and what's not allowed. That being said, when many of us saw that memo in August of 22, we opined, you watch, Medicaid is going to, the federal Medicaid is going to start auditing some states to see if those cost reports are compliant with what the feds believe are the regulations. And sure enough, July of 23, they announced that they're going to start auditing California and Texas. And they are in the middle of that audit right now. Um, they likely will not have to audit, as Rob, you mentioned earlier, because typically when Medicare or Medicaid does an audit, CMS, when CMS does an audit, they do a sampling. And based on the sampling data, um, they will apply that across the rest of the country to all the GEMT programs. That's a huge worry and a huge alarm bell. Uh, now, in the memo, however, and I'm glad we, we got that bit sort of out in the open, but NEMT is requesting uh, CMS to include uh, certain allowable costs in new state programs. What are they? Yeah, so uh, certainly putting an ambulance in front of an address, the cost of the ambulance, the ambulance personnel, all that sort of stuff. But um, Medicaid, federal Medicaid, I'm just going to call it CMS. CMS has indicated in some of their communications that they may change the rules in what's an allowable expense. So any EMT believes that the cost of readiness, the cost of having an ambulance available to respond to a 911 call, should be an allowable expense in that cost report. Because if you have, you know, a lot of idle time trying to meet a locally required response time, or if you're in a rural area and you're only doing a couple of calls a day or a couple of calls a week, the cost of having that ambulance and the crew on duty for a period of time, those things should be included. So the cost of readiness should be included. Certainly the cost of your medical director, the cost of some administrative oversight, the cost of actually supporting the personnel that are on the ambulance to go to the call needs to be included in a cost report as an allowable expense. There's been some discussion that that Medicaid may want to use only the you know two or three people on the ambulance and the time that they're actually on a Medicaid call, um, which you know for many communities might be 10, 15, 20 percent maybe of the call volume, and that would dramatically impact the ability for those communities to get reimbursed for the cost of readiness and the cost of supporting that ambulance going to all calls. One of the other important things that we called out in there, and uh, you know, I, I think it's been pretty detailed in in the memo is indirect cost. And Matt kind of mentioned those already about um, you know the cost of administrative oversight, cost of HR, the cost of dispatching. You know, there's a lot of other indirect costs that are put in there that. Almost every other grant, whether it's SAMHSA, it's AFG, it's any of the the PPP money, they all allow, almost all the other federal grants allow for some indirect cost. And uh, if they're looking at removing indirect cost out of this, um, that's probably inappropriate. And I think that's one of the things that all of our national associations, the alphabet soup, 
acknowledges I think we need to work on, and that's really explaining to our elected officials, to the general public, to anybody that's funding, financing, or reimbursing us, that cost of readiness, the fact that it's not just, you know, and I, I, there's a wonderful piece of language in the letter, I think, that says, you know, this is not a scheduled service, right? I'm not booking my cardiac arrest at zero ten hundred hours, and it's now 8.50, therefore I can pre-book you. It doesn't happen that way. We have to be there 24-7, 365. And I think we're generally bad at actually explaining that service cost to our elected officials. And that's, I think, something that we have to, maybe we'll come as a, as a spin-off from this to redouble down on the fact that this is what it costs to have us ready for you. So we have to be there for 24 hours for your one minute of emergency. And we need to do that and continue to do that. Rob, any EMT, AAA, IFC, IFF, and AMSP, when when we were all working together with RAND and with CMS in the development of the ambulance cost data collection tool, that cost of readiness became a significant discussion point. And RAND and CMS recognized and allows in the current ambulance cost data collection instrument to calculate that cost of readiness, that if you have a locally expected response time, or if you have some geographic challenges, if you have whatever, and you you have tremendous expenses, having that cost of readiness, that is an allowable expense to be that is being counted in the ambulance cost data collection process. So we believe that that should spill over and be consistent with Medicaid as well. Well, I don't know if you remember this, but I was the AAA guy in the room at meeting one with Rand, where we went, ah, it's not just about us turning up, it's about us being ready. And so I remember that meeting very, very well. Before we go any further, though, let's just take a quick break. Since 2010, EMS on the Hill Day has brought EMS professionals together in Washington, D.C. to advocate for the needs of our patients and the EMS profession. Join us on Capitol Hill, April 17th and 18th, 2024, to visit with congressional leaders and staff to help them understand the needs of EMS in our communities and states, especially during this critical time. We'll begin with a pre-Hill briefing to meet as a group, hear the details of our request to Congress and answer any questions. Hill Day includes both seasoned advocates and first-time EMS advocates, so it's a great opportunity to network, learn, and gain insight on federal legislation and its impact on state legislative efforts. So, register today. Again, the link is in the show notes. We look forward to seeing you there. The fee is only $20, $40 for physicians, which includes two receptions and congressional scheduling services. So, we'll see you on the Hill. Meanwhile, back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to NEMT Radio. Don't forget to like and subscribe on the platform that you're listening to us on. We are on a number of platforms out there. And so uh, you could be listening to us on Spotify. You could even be on iHeartRadio. Did you gentlemen know we're even on iHeartRadio? Yes, we are. So make sure you like and subscribe where you're listening to us on by just hitting that check mark or that plus. And every time an episode of NEMT Radio drops, you get notified that we're here. So we're talking to uh, Bruce Evans and Matt Zavadsky. The topic is ground emergency medical transportation. Uh, the issue of the day is that NEMT has written a note to CMS. And Bruce, in the asks here, NEMT is requesting that CMS include the following joint services as allowable costs in any new state program. Obviously, we want to continue this program going. And obviously, there has to be considerations of things that they include 
other than just pure transport. Right. And I think, uh, you know, that that's probably what's drawn a lot of scrutiny to this program is that people are a little bit off, um, you know, uh, you know, off the schedule. And there's a specific um, there's a specific request here that says that we're asking CMS to include the direct cost of of an ambulance of ambulance personnel providing treatment and stabilization of patients on the scene. And there's actually a federal document um, that comes from the Social Security Act. Um, it's 1902A30A, and it, it specifically talks about the what's allowable as a charge for stabilizing and treating patients on the scene. And a lot of people may be not familiar with that document as it's probably buried in the bowels of the Department of Health. Um, but it, it does very specifically spell out what you can include in that cost of stabilization versus what shouldn't be included. And that, like I said, probably that's where a few people are getting off the schedule um, and allow they're including cost in the GMT program that they shouldn't be. Did I say that right, Matt? Yeah, I always throw in the word possibly because we don't know. And um, people just need to be cautious to make sure that when they're working with whoever's helping them with their cost report or they're doing the cost report on their own, follow Bruce's advice, follow the letter of the rule um, as you understand it um, to help avoid any overstating of, of any potential overstating of costs. So data, as you know, is our favorite four-letter word. And also uh, CAD data particularly is is of importance here right now. And we were talking before the podcast started here about, you know, some basic data that a lot of at least fire-based agencies look at, and that is cost per response and cost per capita. And there are probably a lot of smaller services, especially rural services and while it, you're probably capturing it, um, the important thing to look at in the future is going to be time on task, which includes the, the transport time by the ambulance staff, the treatment time by the ambulance staff that should equate to the total time on task for an ambulance taking care of somebody where they're stabilizing um, and providing transportation. We've kind of covered the main points here and the main sort of list of concerns and issues. Uh, but, but Matt, I'm famous for talking to people on the escalator, right? So give us the escalator summary of everything we've just discussed and what we need to pay attention to. First, if, you're, if your state is one of the states that has not yet gotten their state plan amendment approved, talk to your local legislators, talk to everybody you can to advocate for getting that approved. Um, you're missing out on on economic benefit that you really, really need right now. If you are participating in a GEMT program, make sure that you and everybody who's part of that process, including your state, including the agencies that are doing your cost reporting, are very comfortable that your cost report is accurate with regard to allowable expenses that can be included as a Medicaid-covered service. One of the great things you can do is any EMT published a guide to helping agencies with the Medicare cost reporting process. Go to NAMT's NAMT's website, go to cost reporting, download that. 
those costs and the way that it's structured in the Medicare cost reporting is probably what CMS and the Medicaid side also wants you to be reporting. Just make sure you're doing so accurately so that um, if you're audited or your state is audited, um, it'll have a much potentially much better outcome because you've included those costs that CMS is saying can be included for the provision of putting an ambulance in front of an address, which is really what they're talking about. Ambulance in front of an address, absolutely critical. So you mentioned advocacy, you mentioned the NEMT website, Bruce, you cited a bill before. Everything we've talked about today will feature as a link and a click in the show notes. So if you didn't manage to write down the things we're talking about, you can just go into the show notes and you'll find everything you need to find there. But kind of call to action time, what do our members need to be aware of and what do our members need to do, Matt and Bruce? I'd say number one is um, get on and read this memo. Um, I think we put a lot of detail into this memo um, that's gone to CMS. So understand the acronyms, understand the ASK, and then um, make sure that you're making contact with your uh, Medicaid representatives in your state. And then the other thing that's really important here is like Matt said, and I've reiterated it, is make sure you're sticking to the schedule. You know, be you know, maybe take a second or third look at your cost reporting and make sure that you're reporting um, accurately. And and I think it's safe to say that this is all federal money, it, it, whether it's Medicare money that's coming direct, directly to you from Medicare or it's Medicaid money that is federal money being given to the states uh, to pay for this. Um, and they're probably going to want to be measuring apples to apples. And they're not going to want to see apples and oranges and pears. I would add to that. <clears throat> let's talk about PCG, the public consulting group. They have been huge supporters of EMS specifically related to cost reporting and GEMT programs. In fact, in many of these states where they're pending, um, G, uh, PCG wrote the many parts of the state plan amendment, wrote the local law. Uh, in the state that allowed uh, GEMT to become a thing in the state. So um, to the extent that you can, reach out to PCG and offer them advocacy support. Find out, you know, from their perspective, who can you talk to to support their efforts to move these things along? Um, this, one of the reasons why any EMT wrote this memo was PCG brought this to the EMS Economics Committee and said, hey, it would help us and help the industry if you guys would communicate this on behalf of your membership, um, and we did. So um, just we are very um, honored that PCG is helping with this process across the board and want to support them and the states and the agencies that are going to benefit from the GEMT program. Thank you, Matt. Not only can you read about everything in the show notes, a great uh, reference to PCG, and thank you for doing that. Final Rob question, as always, is anything I've forgotten to ask you or anything you need to tell us? This is another example of the profession stepping up to really help the profession. Economics is one of our number one issues. It, it's part of the staffing issue. It's part of the equipment issue. It's part of the supply chain issue. So if you haven't already, join an EMT, become active in a committee, become part of the PAC, become part of the advocacy committee. Um, because the voice of the people that are actually doing the work is the most important voice. 
So join us in, in this effort and others to really improve and advance the EMS profession through advocacy. Robin, I would echo what Matt said about economics. I think that the next generation that's coming up to you know replace us and uh, fill in as the EMS leaders of the future, um, they have got to dig into the economics of what is going on. Um, I mean, it, it seemed like it was 20 years ago, but we had a lot of uh, in-service and a lot of um, a lot of uh, convention time that was taken up teaching people about unit hour utilization, in-service ratio, uh, unit hour cost, and all of those things have kind of fallen by the wayside by a lot of people. And you know, it's almost a niche uh, uh, role for somebody to be uh, an EMS uh, uh, economist. And, you know, more and more as budgets get tighter and as more of these um, you know, these reimbursement uh, situations get complex and you're dealing with audits and you're dealing with accounting and you're dealing with numbers, we have to have people engaging in economics um, that are in EMS and very specific to what we do because Many of the things we talked about here today, like the cost of readiness and indirect cost and how much it costs to put an ambulance on the doorstep uh, of a patient that's calling 911. Um, these are all unique things. This isn't, uh, you know, tracking a widget and uh, looking at, uh, you know, sales records for a widget. Um, these things are a little bit more complex and uh, have a lot of inputs that have to go into them. Uh, to get a true cost of what we're doing. So I'd, I'd say that in the future, again, um, I, I put a big plea out there for people to get involved in the economics of what's going on. And uh, for those people that are planning our national conventions or our national education, um, that to, to reinvigorate the, the piece about economics and, and what it costs to do business. Excellent. Thank you both for those uh, wise uh, words. As I've always said, EMS is a business, like it or not. And uh, we can't avoid, we can't afford to avoid this issue. And so thank you very much. Uh, we've talked about uh, GEMT today, Ground Emergency Medical Transportation. Uh, we've highlighted the memo that uh, NEMT has written to CMS. Uh, that'll be in the show notes. Please uh, have a look at that, read it, absorb it, act on it. And of course, uh, be prepared to support NEMT on the Hill uh, in the near future as we, as we continue to lobby for this. So for the moment, uh, and I know I'll have you back on NEMT Radio, uh, Bruce and Matt, Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. So that was another edition of NAMT Radio. Uh, we drop an edition pretty much every two weeks to keep you up to date with what's happening at uh, the National Association of EMTs. So for the moment, I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.